0: This is Shop Talk Radio episode 17 with Dr. Sean Stevenson. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host Nick Onkin and on this show we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce and inspiration. I'm stoked to have Dr. Sean Stevenson on this week's episode of Shop Talk Radio. If you haven't heard of Sean, you will love him. They call him the three foot giant because he's literally three feet tall at most and lives in a wheelchair, but his personality is larger than life. His confidence is off the radar. Sean is one of the most amazing human beings I have ever met. He was born with a rare bone disease called osteogenesis imperfecta, where his bones were so brittle, even sneezing would break a collarbone. In fact, he's broken over 250 bones in his body. And the amazing thing is he's broken through all the mental obstacles and physical obstacles, so to speak, to transform into a healthy physical body where he's changed his diet and he works out and he's very strong and he doesn't break any more bones. Sean has his doctorate in clinical hypnotherapy and has written two books. He's an all-around badass in thought leadership and his vision is to rid the world of insecurity and he's well on his way to doing it. I had the privilege of cruising through Phoenix to hang out and do a photo shoot with him. We went out to the desert, we shot guns and hung around his house. And uh, so check out the pics over at shoptalkradio.com slash EP17 and you'll get an idea of uh, what Sean's life is like and his, his perspective and what his condition is. Hanging out with Sean is always an enlightening experience. He's one of the most inspirational humans out there. In this episode, we learn a lot of things from Sean. We talk about how the unconscious mind affects the conscious mind in everyday life. When you're not afraid of rejection, you can accomplish amazing things. True connection is built on trust and respect. Be up front with your intentions in a relationship and so much more. So let's jump in. today
1: we've
0: got Sean Stevenson in his studio, and we're in a little closet right now, which is awesome, his recording studio. Welcome, Sean.
1: Well, thank you for entering my closet, because this is, uh, we got my uh, tuxedo pants from my wedding hanging up behind us, and we gotta, like, make it a little less ghetto. There's, you know, hundreds of dollars of sound foam around us, and it's uh, pretty solid, so uh, this is where I come to do my podcast, and I thought... You know, you got your own show. I'd love to be on it. And uh, let's do it in my studio since we hung out today.
0: It's perfect. We had a great time shooting some guns. Yes, we did. And uh, yeah, so let's just get started. And so, you know, if you could just paint us a picture of your life and how you grew up to give, give us just a, an idea.
1: Well, when I was born, <coughs> the uh, doctors told my parents that I wasn't going to live for the first 24 hours of my life. They were pretty sure I was going to die because of a complication from a rare bone disorder called osteogenesis imperfecta, which is just just like a long, fancy Latin name for bone gene imperfection. And it stunts the growth of the bones. That's why I'm only about three feet tall. And it also causes the bones to be extremely fragile. So something as simple as like, sneezing would fracture a bone, as a, like a rib uh, as a child. Uh, putting on a pair of pants too quickly would break a leg. And growing up with this condition, by the time I was 18, Nick, I had over 200 fractures. So, Oof. lots of different amounts of pain. I had numerous surgeries done on my legs had to try to straighten out the bones that were trying to naturally bend over time. And... With this condition, I couldn't walk, so I used a wheelchair, and still do to this day to get around physically with my mobility. And you know, grew up looking dramatically different than my peers had a lot of impact on my life, both positive and negative. Uh, you know, the, it all comes down to, as we'll talk about later, in perception of yourself. Mm. But uh, a lot of, a lot of frustration as a kid, a lot of self loathing, a lot of. Um, upset about not being able to understand why this happened to me, why Why did I have to deal with something so unfair, and yet my childhood, even with all that said, was still incredibly delightful. I mean, I had wonderful, I still do have wonderful parents, uh, amazing sister, and really great support system of friends and family around that uh, played a role in, in my character development. So they were there was a lot of pain, but there was a lot of love around me to deal with the pain. So it was a bit of a mixed bag, probably like most people's lives.
0: Yeah. So do you feel like that is what got you through? Or what what caused the shift in your emotional state to go from a world of, like, feeling sorry for yourself and living in a world of limiting beliefs to, you know, <laughs> being the confident person that you are?
1: Well, it wasn't an overnight transition. and um, It wasn't like a... Like, I woke up one day and I was like, hey, Sean Stevenson, how you doing, you know? (laughs) I didn't, like, pull the card out and be like, at five years old, you know, give me a call, you know? Like, I wasn't that guy. It took time. It was great parent structure that my parents both taught me to look at what you can do, not what you can't do. Uh, Both my parents told me that, you know, that you have to look at your condition and you have to ask yourself one question. Is this condition going to be a gift Or is it going to be a burden in your life? Because if you choose to make it a burden, you will... You'll look at every scenario as if, you know, there's no choice but to feel sorry for yourself. There's no choice but to be bitter. Whereas if you look at it as a gift, then you can look at all the wonderful ways that you can impact people. I mean, like, for instance, I can roll into a room of strangers, and they'll remember me potentially for the rest of their life. I mean, you and I met uh, three years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I even asked you today, I was like, wait, have we met before? And you said, yes. And I said, well, I met a thousand people there and I probably stand out a little bit more. <laughs> um, and so that's a gift to be able to, to be so physically unique that people remember you. Yeah. And so it was an interesting childhood. I am glad that it's behind me because there was a lot of physical pain that I Fortunately, don't have to go through now, um, and yet it definitely helped to reveal my character. You know, I love the quote that adversity doesn't mold a person; it reveals a person. And what I think that means is that deep down inside, we all are um, a certain way, and under under circumstances of challenge, you either rise to the challenge and reveal to the world. Who you can be, or you reveal your anger, you reveal your bitterness, and you reveal the side of you that is not your best foot forward. So, when I look back on my childhood, it's a, it's a, it's a wild ride that I'm glad is over, but really helped to reveal who I am.
0: Yeah. So, how did your parents uh, bring you up like this, in the sense of what did they teach you? Like, what did you know? How did they deal with, like, you having this condition?
1: Well, the biggest thing is they they got me to focus on my intelligence, my communication skills, my ability to relate to adults. So as a child, I spent more time with adults than kids. Mm. Um, You know, I, I learned a lot about the world, listening to the news, reading, studying, politics studying human relations uh, figuring out what makes the world tick and in some ways i grew up a lot faster probably because i wasn't out exploring the woods with my friends on my bike you know <laughs> i wasn't out getting in trouble teeping the neighbor's house you know i was inside interacting with my cousins my aunts my uncles um you know my parents and their friends and so in some ways I grew up a lot faster, maybe, because of this Mm -hmm. condition. Um, But my parents, what they really did is they helped to give me some spiritual grounding. My parents, I was raised pretty religious. While I'm not practicing any religion now, I'm very spiritual. uh, But they raised me to believe that there's some greater purpose to everybody's life. Mm -hmm. And so that really made an impact on me. And while they would love it if I still practiced their religion, uh, truth is I still live out a lot of the principles that that their religion taught me. And that was, you know, you have to utilize the experience of life to its fullest. You have to help humanity and you have to uh, not sit around whining and complaining. You have to do something with your life. Mm -hmm. And so that really carried forward. And, you know, I love looking back on my childhood because... I see so much of my parents now in me as an adult and I think that in the end it's not what the parents tell you that sticks with you it's who they were being when you were growing up Mm -hmm. and my parents were being loving they were being individuals that are committed to their own marriage and monogamy and and building their own friendship inside their own relationship and so I grew up desiring to be eventually married to a woman that I was ultimately friends with and respected. And, and, and those things they didn't say in words, but they showed me, you know, my parents never, you know, smoke or drank in excess. And there was a lot of things around um, health and taking care of yourself that I watched them and, and that, you know, never smoked a cigarette a day in my life. I, I don't really drink alcohol. I mean, a lot of my conditioning on taking care of my wellness came from watching my parents. I I would also say my interest in in my creativity. So my dad was, for part of my childhood, my dad was a full-time artist, Mm -hmm. a painter. And so I watched his skills and his creativity come out, his passion for what he did. And my mom was in love with travel. So, like, my mom was a flight attendant for my entire life. She was a reti- uh, she retired this year, but, I mean, well over 40, 45 years being a flight attendant. And so my mom helped to ignite my passion in wanting to see the world. You know, by the time I was... Graduating high school, I had been to almost every state in the Union because my parents made Mm -hmm. it a uh, a commitment to to try to get me out into the world and show me other countries, show, show me other cultures, not to just be in the mindset that... That our little neighborhood and our skin color and our religion was the only out, you know, only option out there and the only uh, element out there in the world. They they constantly exposed my sister and I to many different aspects of life. So, you know, I'm I'm very blessed with the fact that I was cultured at a very young age and that passion for getting out into the world permeated into the rest of my life. Wow.
0: It's amazing how much we absorb from our parents, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And good ways and bad, and, Mm. you know, I'm sure you probably deal with, you work with a lot of people that have not had the same upbringing.
1: No, certainly not. I mean, I would say that looking back on my years as a therapist, the biggest problem a human being usually ever faces is outgrowing what happened to them in childhood Mm. they're not even outgrowing but um making peace with you know because a lot of people didn't get that loving parental structure that i had and some people even use that as an excuse well you only became successful and went on to do great things with your life because you had good parents and i'm like look if it wasn't that you would blame something else You know, if you haven't noticed, I'm three V tall in a wheelchair. I could have easily been, you know, a a schlub and most people would have never called me out on it. You know, so I'm a big believer that if you want to live a good life, you will find good role models. You will find good mentors. People will say, well, what would you have done if you didn't have your parents? And I said, well, I don't know, but hopefully I would have come to the realization that I need to create my own support structure. I needed to get a neighbor or a school teacher or a counselor or somebody that was older than me that had wisdom, that had love and respect for life, and would teach me boundaries and principles and morals and ethics. Because if you can't get that from your parents, you better get it from somewhere else. And it's your responsibility after 18, in my mind. To parent yourself, maybe your parents didn't do a good job. Maybe they did the best they could, and they came from a you know a crappy upbringing. So you now have to choose to take care of your own uh, development from here on forward. And so, you know, I would tell people in these circumstances go out and find people that you wish were like your, you wished would have been your parents, and then go learn from them this is now your responsibility.
0: Wow. Wow. So that catalyzed you into... So you you got your PhD? Yep. And what what path were you on for that?
1: Well, I was a professional speaker for... Oh, gosh. From 1996 to 2000. For four years, I did nothing but go to school and then part-time do speaking uh, to hospitals, prisons, uh, other schools... And then one day, Nick, a young girl came up to me out of the audience, and she was in high school, and she rolled up her sleeves, and she had cuts all up and down her arms. And she said, why do I do this to myself? And I looked at her, dumbfounded. I mean, this was 2000, year 2000, so we're talking, what is that now, 14 years ago? And I had no clue. I had no idea why somebody would—I think I thought it was her cat had, like, clawed her. I had no clue why somebody would mutilate themselves. And I said, sweetie, I don't have the answer, but I'm going to go find out. And I went back to school after I graduated college because uh, my undergraduate had nothing to do with therapy. It was in political science. So I went back to school and was in school for about another eight years to get my, uh, my degree in clinical hypnosis.
0: Wow. Hypnosis. Yeah. Wow. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I looked into all the different um, aspects of psychotherapy. I didn't want to go into psychiatry. The difference being psychiatry uses uh, medical uh, intervention using um, substances, pills, and and different forms of treatment that take a medical degree. And I didn't really want to go down that route because I found that that works for some people, but I wanted something a little bit more on the fringe, something that was a little more direct and unique and, and an alternative to that. And so, I looked into all the different aspects of psychotherapy and I really fell in love with the power of the unconscious mind. I started studying Carl Jung, who was Freud's student, and he got it. I mean, Carl Jung, Freud had a part of the puzzle, but he was also very disturbed and had his own challenges and became a coke addict and all of that. And and yet Jung really got it. I mean, he understood the unconscious mind and that the unconscious mind runs our life. And so from that, I started studying hypnosis. And so my degree is in clinical hypnosis, but really it's in the study of the unconscious impact over a conscious daily waking life. Uh, because you have these two minds that are running at all, at, at all times side by side. You have this conscious brain that is like a parent, that is aware of what I'm saying to you right now, that's aware of maybe the light in this room, that's aware of the smells in this room, that is consciously choosing to pay attention to things. And then you have everything else that's bombarding you in every moment of your day that you're not conscious of, and that's your unconscious. And your unconscious does things like run your body it's responsible for your heartbeat your breathing like your breathing is fascinating to me because it's the only th- there's very few things blinking is another but um breathing is one of the few things that you can choose to do consciously or unconsciously have you ever noticed if you're not thinking about your breathing you breathe just fine but then all of a sudden you start thinking about your breathing and you have to keep breathing because you're <laughs> conscious of it well it's because you can switch between conscious and unconscious on that and so I just became fascinated in the unconscious mind, and I couldn't read and study it enough. I mean, I, I dug in for a good eight years and, and went to numerous different um, uh, schools to, to get different uh, takes on it and finally found a school that I really uh, connected with and just took everything I could and worked my way all the way up to the Ph.D. level.
0: Wow, so how has your unconscious mind um, transition, or like, how have you seen it play, come to play in your own life? Well,
1: um, unconscious is a big uh, factor of repetition. So, if you whatever you make conscious diligently becomes unconscious. So, like I say that um, whatever you give yourself most often, you end up craving and so if you give yourself junk food every day, day in and day out you will only crave junk food if you start smoking every day you'll crave smoking if you start doing nothing but play video games and don't work and just you know surrender to to uh, watching television and serving the internet that's all you'll want to do and so I've had to train my unconscious mind to be in love with uh, learning, in love with fitness, in love, with um, really staying positive and focusing on what I do have control over and what I do have the ability to impact on this planet. And so my unconscious mind and I uh, have a really good working relationship. It It doesn't mean that I don't have any bad days, but you can think about it this way. If the conscious mind is your parent, then what would your unconscious mind be? The child, right? And so the child is very creative it's your child brain that loves you loves for you to like create ideas that are big and out of the box and playful and and that's wonderful but a child needs boundaries i love the i heard a line in a movie recently that says you know uh don't let the kids drive the car but it's also not a good idea to shove them in the trunk you know they're like your unconscious mind shouldn't be necessarily responsible for everything um and like but yeah, it shouldn't be abused or belittled you know right. and so when i look at when i look at my life and my unconscious mind my biggest goal is to to keep the conscious and the unconscious mind um on the same page interacting well uh you know loving each other um working together you know my my mentor i I never got to meet him in person, but I studied all his material, as much as I could get my hands on, uh, for my doctorate, Milton Erickson. And he said that the only reason why a client would ever come to work with a therapist is if their conscious and their unconscious mind is not in rapport. If the Mm -hmm. conscious and unconscious mind are not on the same page, they're not wanting to be friends, they're not wanting to be on good terms with each other. And that's when you have breakdown. Like, Nick, have you ever set a goal and then didn't? done absolutely nothing to achieve it (laughs) yeah have you ever said you were gonna do do something and never got around to doing it yeah yeah this happens to all of us it's because our conscious and unconscious mind when we're not following through we don't believe ourselves so the more we don't follow through the more we don't trust ourselves you know the biggest thing is if you want to learn to trust other people and have people trust you first you have to build your trust within yourself. And that means when you say you're going to do something for your own good, you go and do it. You know, like if you say you're going to go exercise three days a week, then you have to go exercise three days a week. And when you don't, what happens is you lose trust in yourself.
0: Yeah. So being of your word is what builds trust in yourself. Yeah,
1: it's having integrity.
0: Absolutely. Wow, that's powerful. So how, you know, we talked about... The sub, the unconscious self is creative. So how can how can we use tap the unconscious self to foster creativity?
1: Well, first, what we have to do is we have to let go of stress mm. and anxiety and worry because that cramps up the unconscious mind. That cramps up the f- creative flow. When you're worried about money or or whether you're going to find love or whether whether you're going to do well in school, when you're all tensed up and worried, then you give no flow from the unconscious to the conscious mind. Because the creativity flows out of the unconscious into the conscious, so you are getting the logical ideas and the, and the actual steps that you need to go take. or You get the pictures in your mind very clear, so you actually know what you're going to go do. But if you're all worried and you're tense and you're, and you're anxious and you're visualizing worst-case scenarios... You can't let the creative flow happen. So what I do to uh, – well, are you curious on what I do to build my creativity? Yeah. Okay. So what I do is – and I, I'll show you in my office when we're done here. But I have a board of about 14 different items that I have uh, – they're action items that I have a choice to do every day. And I even if I do four of these 14, it's a good day. And they could be like exercise, meditate, uh, go learn something about spirituality or physiology, um, go visit with your mentors, go be in nature, go hang out with someone you love and care about. When you do these things of what I call your when life works list. Hmm. It doesn't matter what happens in that day. You could get a contract, not get a contract. Something, quote, positive happens or something negative happens. But if you've taken care of the essentials, your when life works list, you build up that sense of inertia. Mm -hmm. You build up that sense of taking care of yourself. You know, everything I listed was about pampering yourself. It's about giving yourself permission to handle the fundamentals because... When you're handling the fundamentals, things naturally come into place. It's when people ignore the fundamentals that things fall apart. Mm. Everybody wants the complex answers, but it's usually the simple shit that makes the biggest impact on us.
0: Yeah, kind of like a dance party.
1: It's like a dance party. (laughs) That's on the the list, you know. Be goofy and silly and have a good time. You know, I I created that video and it, it went totally viral because... Because people are so uptight <laughs> and and to to dance around like a goofball really it, it puts them in a mindset of if i 'm willing to be goofy and dance here by myself, what else am I willing to try? What else am I willing to do yeah. and you want to ask yourself what else could we create what else what else is possible and and i 'm always pushing the limits of what's possible. I told you that next month i'm going to be um, Going on a flight by myself for the first time. I'm gonna get on a commercial airline and and fly uh, by myself. No, no attendant. My wife's not coming with me. My father's not coming with me. No, my none of my friends. I'm gonna completely take this trip on my own. I've never done that. I have no clue how it's even gonna go down. But I do know that it scares me. Yeah. And and I find that the things that scare you that probably will never kill you, you need to go do. You know, I mean, I'm not saying like pick up rattlesnakes and like spit in their eyes. Like I'm not saying do (laughs) stupid shit. I'm saying do things that scare you that, you know, once you get through it you'll believe more in yourself, you know? Make a list of what do you need to be doing in your business that scares you and go do those things. Make a list in your personal life, your health, with your friends, your family. What scares you to do? Does it scare you if you're a woman who your whole life you've been taught to be conservative and, and, and only wear appropriate clothes? Maybe one day you need to find the skankiest outfit and go to a club where no one knows you and just use your body to get attention maybe it's the other way maybe your whole life you were told that your body is your number one asset and you actually need to like put on some conservative clothes go to a library and start up a conversation with somebody (laughs) using just your mind you just have to step out of your comfort zone you have to step out of what you're used to to really let go and get access to different parts of life and when you let go and you get access to different parts of life, that's when you start thinking bigger. That's when the bigger ideas come to you. That's when you are also start to build that inertia. See, once I start to go after things that scare me, then I can go after everything, because if I've already done what scared me, then there's no stopping me. Yeah. Because it's only fear that stands in our way of our goals.
0: Fear is huge. hmm Fear runs our lives, or can, can. run our lives.
1: Sure doesn't have to
0: definitely how is uh, how have you overcome your fears
1: i'm still working on them i think as you play a bigger game you get different fears mm. i don't think fear goes away i think it it changes form mm. so you know what i was afraid of 5 years ago doesn't scare me at all today 5 years ago i no let's take take 10 years ago 10 years ago i was afraid to go up and talk to a, a woman and like ask her on a date <laughs> now I'm happily married to a woman that I'm attracted to that it's attracted to me and we are best friends and and I don't even think about that anymore like that doesn't even concern me because I've gone out with numerous women before I met my wife and 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 yet that petrified me 10 years ago you know yeah so your fears changed now fears are expanding certain parts of my business or flying by myself on an airplane taking my own trip on my own charting my own course without having anybody around me. And so, when I look at my fears, they've been handled in baby steps. You know, everybody's looking for the magic bullet of how to get rid of every fear you have since you were born. And I don't think that you can get rid of every fear. I think that, I think the goal is to to get to a place where where you know that you're going to, move forward even when fear is present Mm. because when you when you step forward into your fear your fears catch on And, and 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 it's almost like your fear fears you because it knows that you're gonna do it no matter what even if you're scared yeah you know i um this woman named susan jeffers she recently passed away but she endorsed my book and her book that she created was called feel the fear and do it anyway, mm. you know? And that's so true. It's like, you're gonna have the fear. I mean, fear is an instinctual part of keeping us alive. You know, when, when saber tooth tigers were running after us on the open plains, it was important to be afraid or we get, you know, eaten. And, and now the things that we fear don't eat us. Now they're like, we're afraid to go talk to a girl or we're afraid to ask for a raise or we're afraid to go off and start our own business. But those things aren't like saber tooth tigers. They just feel like it. And so what I've had to do is over time, just step into my fears, go and ask those women out back in my single days, go and start a business in my early entrepreneurial days, you know, step into the fear.
0: Yeah. So going back to when you were afraid of asking a woman out, where, how did you progress? How did you gain your confidence? Like what where did, you, where did that take you?
1: Are you looking for my pickup material right here? You're going to look for my good pickup lines? Oh,
0: you got some good pickup lines? Oh, dude, I got Come on. <laughs> come on. I wrote the book. Here we go.
1: So handling fear of like intimacy, it's really fear of rejection. Mm. It's fear of looking bad. Because when you are afraid of looking bad to yourself or others, you don't want to attempt anything. Because oh my god, you know, I could get shot down. But as you intentionally put yourself in positions that you get shot down and you realize you lived, then you're willing to go try it again. Yeah. You know, so I would go out and I would you know, go out and talk to hundred girls and you know, maybe a handful of them wouldn't want to talk to me, you know, but the rest would, you know, and so it's like in sales they say that go collect your nose. Because if you're not afraid of collecting no's, then you'll be surprised by how many yeses you actually get. Hmm. You know, and it's, it's, it's really powerful that, that when you're not afraid of looking bad and you're not afraid of rejection, you can do so many amazing things on this planet because you're just limited by your imagination. Yeah. And when it came to women, I mean, I was convinced that there was no way a woman would want to be with a three foot tall man in a wheelchair. I mean, why? It's like no, there's no social examples of that when girls are growing up. Oh, I want to, you know, I want to date A C Slater because he was in a wheelchair. No, he wasn't. He was on Bayside and he was a strong guy that surfed and was the cool jock. Right? There was no role models, no sexual models out there of people that looked like me in 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 our media. So I was thinking, well, why would a woman ever want to be with me? You know, she has nothing to compare it to. And then one day I started changing the script and saying, you know what? Women will see you as a novelty. Women will not be able to compare you to another man. And that's a good thing. You know, we were talking about today in the car when we were driving around. You know, I I said jokingly that I didn't count. If a girl you know hooked up with me or or fooled around at all a a woman wouldn't be like oh my god this counts you know no she would be like wow that was a crazy new experience that i had nothing to compare it to it was almost like a science experiment it was so (laughs) wild and different and fun that it didn't count against her number or her her sexuality it kind of was more of a a wild adventure that she'd never experienced. So as I started to change the story of what intimacy would be like with Sean Stevenson, uh, more and more women were comfortable being with me until finally I met the woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. So when you were, you know, let's talk about, like, collecting no's. Tell us a fun, uh, a funny story of getting rejected.
1: Okay. So... Crazy story. Yeah. Kind of hard to believe, but it's what happened. A buddy of mine and I, we were out. We went to a movie and met these two girls. It was like a 9 o'clock movie. Met these two girls that were sitting behind us. They were not that cute. We were just out to try to hook up, and we were out to just, you know, get more experience. And we didn't care that we weren't that attracted to them. They were nice. They were fun. So we thought, nah, screw it. Let's go meet these girls. So we invite them out to dinner, uh, just like Denny's or some stupid place, and uh, we go out, we, we grab a bite to eat with them, and then we're like, hey, you know, what do you want to do now? Like, you want to go back to our place? And they're like, well, why don't you come back to our house? So we should have known better, but we went back to these girls' house, and we go into this, and it's like a, it looked like somebody's family home. Not, like, some young girl's place. It's, like, in some suburban neighborhood. And she's like, shh, keep your voice down. And and we're like, why? We're You know, like, we're in our 20s. We're thinking, like, we're not in high school anymore, you know? And so we, uh... I can't believe I'm telling this story, but whatever. So my buddy peels off, and we're in the basement. He peels off with one girl. He goes in the bathroom and it's like, kind of goofing around with her. And I'm on the couch with this other girl. And I'm, like, totally not that smooth at the time, not that confident. And I make some comment that upsets her, and she's like, well, I'm going to go. And now my buddy had put me on the couch. My wheelchair was on the other side of the room. She leaves, and I'm in this stranger's house. And I'm in the basement, and I hear these footsteps coming down the stairs. And I realized it was this one of these girls' father. <sighs> and, like, here I am, little guy, you know, you know, not in my wheelchair. I couldn't even, like explain how I got here. So I'm on the couch. I just throw a blanket over me and I curl up in the corner of the couch. And this guy sits down three, <laughs> feet, away, three feet away from me and turns on the television and starts watching, watching the, the show M.A.S.H. And now my buddy's in this other room like hooking up with this girl. I don't know if it's the girl's... Like, this is the guy, the father of that girl, or I don't know what's going to go down. I am just, like, freaking out, wondering what what would happen if he lifts this blanket up or what if he just, like, sits on the blanket or leans on the blanket. What am I going to say if he finds me? Am I, like, I'm, like, rehearsing all the different scenarios. Like, do I, like, go with the leprechaun? Like, have you seen me Lucky Charms? You know, like, what the fuck do I say, right? And, and so he gets up to make himself a sandwich or something. I, like, push off the blankets. I roll to the floor. I roll down the hall out of my wheelchair, rolling like a log. I bang on the bathroom door. My buddy opens it up. I'm like, dude, this girl's father is down here. We got to go. He scoops me up, gets the wheelchair, gets out of there. We're, like, literally leaving this guy's house as he's realizing we're in his house. We're getting in the car and, like, screeching off as he's, like, coming outside yelling. And, like, it was horrible, and like hilarious at the same time.
0: Oh my god!
1: So I don't know if that's the kind of rejection you were looking for, but yeah. Uh,
0: sure, it was funny though. That
1: was one of the stupidest moments I've ex- experienced in trying to get girls.
0: Oh my goodness! Wow. So now, but now you're married. You're happily married. Happily married. yeah. And how did, how did you meet your wife?
1: Uh, through Facebook. She was a friend suggestion. And she had never heard of me or seen any of my work or anything. Uh, but a friend of hers said, you should meet this guy. You're in similar industries because Mindy is a life coach. And, you know, she's definitely interested in a lot of the things that I do. And so that she, he thought, oh, this will be great. You know, you guys will hit it off. But I never thought anything would come of it. You know, like, she lived in Portland and I lived in Chicago. I mean, how did I think that was going to go anywhere, you know? And then one day she was at a seminar... And the speaker was like, oh, my buddy Sean Stevenson. And she's like, God, I think I'm friends with this guy. This was months later after we had friend suggest she had friends suggested me. And so she wrote me that night and said, you know, hey, I think, you know, I think I know you. You're still laughing about being under the blanket. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. You're cracking yeah, me up here. Yeah.
1: So anyway, she hits me up and she's like, the speaker is mentioning you. You know, I'm from Chicago originally. If I'm ever back in town, would you like to go out? And I said, sure. I never turn... Uh, cute girl and coffee down and so uh she came to chicago about six months after that we went on one date it was not love at first sight we were just we had good chemistry but didn't think anything was going to happen but then we fell in love over skype and spent three or about three to four months just connecting on skype and spending time together and getting to know each other and it was great because you know Sex can really cloud your vision of somebody, of whether Mm -hmm. they're good for you or bad for you. So we didn't have intimacy to cloud that. You know, we had just Skype to talk. And uh, we fell in love over Skype, and she flew back out to Chicago a couple times and realized that we had something going. And then she moved back to Chicago for about a year, and we dated, and then we moved to Arizona and got married. And we've been married for about a year and a half now. And we just... We're best friends. We're also, you know, lovers and love to uh, travel the world together and learn together. Many nights we're up till 3 in the morning making snacks in our kitchen and playing music and reading books. And it's really fun when you marry somebody who you're not just sexually attracted to, but you're emotionally attracted to. You know, I, I made the mistake before Mindy of dating only women that I was sexually attracted to. I wasn't emotionally attracted to them. I wasn't intellectually attracted to them. And so... Then after sex, it's like, what are you still doing hanging around, you know? Yeah. But when you really care about somebody beyond sex, it's like sex is just the, the icing on the cake. Everything else is the best part.
0: Yeah. So when you're going through all of this, like, how do you open yourself up to uh, that emotional connection? In them? what regard? Like, how do, you, how do you connect with people?
1: You mean, like... In a social interaction?
0: I mean, I guess it could go anyways, any any interaction, building deeper connections with people.
1: Well, I think the connection is built primarily with two things. And I'm going to go in depth because a lot of people use these words. They throw around these words, but they really don't know what they mean. And so the one word is trust and the other is respect. And so I'll tell you how I think you can build trust and respect. When you feel that you trust somebody, it's not because they say, trust me. In fact, you should probably avoid people that say trust me because you don't have to say something if it's true, you know? Mm. And so trust, I think, is built not with words. It's built with revealing your agenda, your authentic agenda. If you if if you meet a girl, like on my first date with my wife, I was very ballsy. I said to her right on the first date, I want to sleep with you. And she was like, what? Like no man has ever admitted that like like who are you you know she didn't know if she should be offended or aroused you know like what? what's this guy <sighs> but she also was intrigued because i was making my agenda very clear i wasn't needy about it i wasn't like will you please sleep with me i wasn't i wasn't uh, creepy about it like you need to sleep with me it was it was hey i would really like to sleep with you and and it just let her know what page i was on And she knew, like, okay, this is where he's at. You know, so many guys act like they just want to be friends, but they really want more. I was very clear with my intentions. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we trust people when we know what their intentions and their agenda are. And so, like, in sales, I tell people, say right away, look, you're here to look at this car. And, you know, I want you to know I'd love nothing more than to make a big commission today. But let's be honest, this car may or may not be right for you. So let's explore all the options and you know that I would love this big commission, but I only want it if you ultimately feel happy because then you're going to tell your friends and I would love to get a big commission from working with them. But you have to be right with this. Now, I made it clear that I would like to make a big commission. I made it clear that I want to sell you. I made it clear that bringing in money is important to me. Now, you trust me. I'm not saying, oh, I don't really care about money. You know, let me show you the most expensive car, but it doesn't matter if you buy it. No, I do want you to buy it. I would love to make a big commission. And, and when you come from that honest agenda, people trust you more. Mm. So I feel like letting people know your agenda up front is the best thing ever. Whether you're selling them, you want to sleep with them, whether you want to do business with them, or whether you want to be their friend, whatever. And then the second thing is Respect. And I don't mean, like, demanding respect, like, in a militant, authoritative way. I mean, like, where you actually share with someone your observation. You acknowledge their value. Hmm. So, for instance, if I wanted you to feel that I respect you, because I'm not talking about you respecting me. I'm talking about you feel I respect you. Hmm. What I would say is I would say, Nick, I've been all over your website. I absolutely have checked out your work, and I think you are potentially one of the best photographers on the planet from everything I've seen. I think you not just capture, like, pictures. I think you're actually able to, from what I've seen, encapsulate time Mm. and moments. And your photographs don't feel like they're photographs. They make me feel transported through time to that very moment As if I was there. And that's why I think you're one of the best out there. (laughs) And by acknowledging your value, you know I respect you. Mm. You can feel it, right? And so in that moment, I don't have to say, Nick, I respect you, bud. I've already proven it to you. I've acknowledged value in depth. I'm not just saying, you're a good photographer. No, I went into depth on saying why I think you're a good photographer. Mm. And when you show people and you point out the you're able to acknowledge the value that most people think that you might be overlooked you know like we it's we want people to acknowledge the value that we think other people don't see and when people do acknowledge the value that we don't think other people see we feel so seen and heard and acknowledged as human beings that we feel so absolutely respected And once we feel that we know somebody's agenda and we can trust them, and then we feel like we get totally understood and we feel that we feel respected, when trust and respect is present, then communication can just flow with ease. You can say some very intense conversational pieces. You could say, so I'm just wondering, I've been watching you drinking all night, you know, this is hypothetical, but, you know, I've been watching you drink all night and I wonder, you know, have you ever dealt with alcoholism in your family or do you ever feel like whatever whatever you say to somebody that normally might trigger them if they feel that they totally feel they can trust you and that you respect them they won't get triggered because their mm-hmm. ego doesn't feel a need to defend them because their ego already feels heard seen felt admired and and so therefore there's no need to be vengeful in your responses
0: wow wow that was good so taking that now would you say that is the actual human connection piece or do you think it goes deeper than that like i
1: think there's a lot of connection pieces i mean be very leery of somebody that thinks that they've got all the answers i've just got some of them i'm just some of the pieces and there are many ways that i can answer a lot of these questions but i think that the core elements of having that energetic bond between two people, where you feel like they get you and you get them, you have to have trust and respect. Mm. And then when you have that bond, then you can go on to deeper levels, like spiritually and energetically, and talk about the big picture of why you're on this planet. Because I don't like to just talk about service, you know? There's two kinds of people, in my opinion. People that like to snorkel, and people that like to scuba dive. And snorkelers like to live in a very shallow existence. And I don't mean to say that in like a derogatory way. I mean it literal. They like to live on the surface of life. They're shallow. They like to look at the beautiful coral and the prettiest fishes. You know, the fishes? Is that a word? fish? Yeah. Hmm. So they they like to look at the beautiful fish. And all the pretty things in life stay on the surface. But when you stay on the surface, you really don't get to see the, the most unique things. The most incredible adventures are way below the surface. They're miles deep. And, you know, there's sea life under the ocean floor, you know, deep down in the ocean floor that is just amazing that have been around and not infected by our pollutants and that they've been perfectly kept intact. And some people wonder if they've been around for thousands of years even. And 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 the depths that you would have to go to see that, the pressure. That you would have to take on your body when you go snork when you go scuba diving that deep. And it's scary. It's dark when you go really deep and it's intense and you don't know what's gonna come out. And and yet it's some of the most adventurous experiences to go that deep. And not many people are willing to go that deep. And and it takes more apparatus, you have to learn, you have to get certified. You don't have to be certified to snorkel. You have to actually get certified to scuba dive to handle the the, the tanks and the breathing and to handle it, the tanks don't work. And you have to, you have to teach yourself and train yourself to handle the pressure on the body and the same thing with life the people that want to go deep they have to explore recesses of their soul and they have to be willing to find things in them that may not always be pretty i mean the sea creatures that live at the bottom aren't the prettiest they're not the shiniest and the most bright and colorful but they're the most intricate and unique and and, and novel and so incredibly different than what's on the surface and any Yahoo can throw on a mask and, and wade around on the top of the water. It takes no no real skill to talk about the surface of life. You know, like, I don't mean any disrespect, but the people that like to open up all the rag mags that are at the counters at the grocery store and, and just kind of look at the pictures and not go any deeper than that. They're looking at all the coral of life. They're looking at all the pretty little shimmery fish on the surface. And if that's all they want to do, God bless them, that's fine. But I choose to go much deeper. I choose to to learn uh, how to handle the depths and the, the pressure on the soul when you go exploring on the bottom of the, of our existence and willing to look deeper and ask deeper questions and say, what were you put on this planet for? You know, why is human, why is humanity have such struggle when we have also such beauty? How does that coexist? And is it possible to live in, in peace times without war is it possible for every child to get an education is it possible for every person to be fed and clothed and get shelter is it possible for human race to actually coexist without the insecurities that lead to war and famine and and all the other social ills when I talk about that kind of sh- it makes most people that want to live on the surface uncomfortable, and it's as if I'm speaking some foreign alien language.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, it it's deep. It's connecting. It's a connected piece. I mean, I, I, shallow conversations get old. Yeah. <laughs> so... Well, we're sitting here, and, and your book's sitting here, too, and I want to, like, can you tell us about about your book, get, sure. off, get Off Your Butt?
1: Yeah, so it's spelled B-U-T, so it's like your excuses. I would exercise, but I don't have the time. I would eat right, but it's too costly. You know, I would, I would read a book about personal growth, but I don't have, you know, I don't have the energy after work. And, you know, everybody has excuses to why they don't do what they claim they want to do. And so this book gets to the heart of getting past those excuses. And not just excuses, but there's also, we have three kinds of buts. We have butt excuses, and that's the, but I don't have the, the time, the money, the energy, the resources, the education. But then we have these other two buts. We have the but fears, like, but what if I fail? Mm. But what if I look bad? But well, what if I make a mistake? But what if I let people down? And then we have the worst of all the buts, in my opinion, and that's the but insecurities but I'm not tall enough, but I'm not mm. smart enough, and I'm not pretty enough, but I'm, but I'm not enough, which is the ultimate insecurity. And so this book goes into the depths of dealing with these butt fears, these butt excuses, but the insecurities, and the subtitle is How to End Self-Sabotage and Stand Up for Yourself mm. because far more than the obstacles you'll face outside of you are the obstacles you'll face within you. And self-sabotage will be the greatest sabotage that you'll ever experience. That no enemy knows you as much as your insecurities know you. Yeah. And I think that insecurities are fascinating. And one of my goals on this planet is to rid the world of insecurity, to teach people that they don't have to be run by their insecurities, that they can rise above them and work on on their psyche and their heart and their spirit so much that they... Are able to use their insecurities as a springboard to helping themselves and others. So that book came out a few years ago, and it's something that's still continuing to sell. It's an international bestseller. It's you know been released in numerous different languages. It's fun because I'll show you afterwards. There we have multiple translations of this book. Oh wow! And it's neat because in Korea it's a big hit. It's bigger in Korea than it is here. Yeah. And uh, and I, when I go. To, go to some of these countries they know me because my book's more popular than it is in the united states yeah and it's really cool to know and i do get some emails that get like put them into google translate and figure out what they're saying it's neat to know that tonight when i go to bed on the other side of the world there may be a kid in japan who's waking up who's suicidal because his parents are hard on him about about his school and his career and he gets a copy of my book and a you know, on on the other side of the world, in bed, and he's waking up and he's got his book on his nightstand and he goes, You know what, I'll I'll give this book a read and he picks it up and he starts reading in my words, translated it into another language, are able to help him through his suicidal thoughts and hopefully make an impact on him and I'm not even there. I mean heck, I could be dead and this book will continue to be there for people on their nightstand or their bookshelf and and, and, and in some ways, I think the book can travel through time as well as space. You know, I can only be in one place at one time, mm-hmm. but my book can be in multiple places at one time. And that's what I'm most proud of is that it's truly something that I poured my heart and soul into and is continuing to have an impact on this planet.
0: Yeah, it's got an amaz- amazing feeling to make such a big difference in people's lives. Do you have lives. a copy of my book? I don't.
1: I'll give you a copy when you leave here.
0: would love one. Awesome. That's awesome. So another thing, too, is we were earlier talking about how, how we see ourselves. You know, I don't see myself as Asian. You don't see yourself... You're not black. No, I'm I black. thought
1: you were black. Yeah. yeah, I saw your dance moves. So. I,
0: thought I, I thought I was black. Yeah, yeah, But I do have good dance moves. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Well, I don't think of myself as disabled, you know, because that means not able and why would, I dis- why would I define myself by what I couldn't do? Let me mm. ask you, can you ride a unicycle? I could. Okay, you could, but can you right now? Like, are you good at balancing yourself on a unicycle? No. Can you play a harmonica really well?
0: No. Can
1: you do Beethoven with ease on the piano? No. Okay. But you don't open up with a conversation saying, hi, I'm Nick I don't use I can't ride a unicycle real well I don't play the harmonica, and I can't do Beethoven real well on the piano. What's your name? <laughs> you don't you don't open yourself as What you can't do and yet that's what people with disabilities that they define themselves by what they can't do I can't walk now. I need to lead with that That's as stupid as you saying you can't play the harmonica Or, or you know, I mean you can't you can't sl- a slam dunk with the basketball on a regular you know nba rim you know what i'm saying like you don't open with what you can do in your life that sounds ridiculous and that's what people do when they identify with their disabilities is they go out into the world and they they hi this is my disability this is what i can't do and when you come from that space no wonder you're not able to shake the ground Mm. so i don't think of myself as disabled that's that that would be a disservice to humanity. Yeah. And some people will say, I'm in denial. I don't believe that I'm in denial. I know I'm three feet tall in a wheelchair, but that doesn't make me disabled.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, if we rewind we even more, we talked about a little bit about how it, it doesn't even register.
1: No, I don't even think about it during my day. There'll be times where I will come across a mirror and I'll go, there's a little dude in a wheelchair, and it takes a split second for me to be like, dumbass, that's you. Like, I <laughs> I don't have an image in my mind of a little guy in a wheelchair. I, I probably have more of a, you know, Lewis Howes, right? Yeah. And, and I have more of an image like I'm as big as him. You know, I mean, my, my spirit is not three feet tall. You know, and so when I come into a room, I don't bring a three feet tall energy. I bring a larger than life energy to make an impact. And so I don't think of myself. I don't reference myself. I don't identify with my disability or my appearance or my size. And that's why within a matter of a few moments, you forget my size. Hopefully that's my goal. My goal is for you to forget I'm in a wheelchair. My goal is for you to forget that I'm three feet tall, because then you can actually see Sean. Mm. Sean is not his container. Nick is not Asian. You know, he is a guy who happened to be born into part of that race. But that doesn't mean that that's all of who you are. Yeah. There's something way bigger than our race, our sexual orientation, our ability or disability, our, our height, our weight. All of that is just a container. It's not who we are. Yeah.
0: So have you always seen yourself like this? Or it's was taken there... time.
1: It's, it's been a transition. Yeah. It's been a metamorphosis over the years. I think it's, gotten, it's picked up speed by the more things I've created. You know, when you want to get close to your creator, if you don't want to go through the religious route or the meditating route, just go create something of value. Maybe create some art. Maybe create a business. If you want to be close to your creator, go create. Be a creator. I feel my most alive and connected spiritually to the planet when I am doing cool shit with my life yeah. when I am creating a project that I am passionate about I feel close to God mm. because I am creating I am a form of a creator
0: wow I love that creative in business creative in everything
1: creative in a relationship I mean I in my house here my my wife, Mindy, and I, my my title in this house is the CFO, the Chief Fun Officer. And so I'm always <laughs> doing things to create it fun. You know, like one day I said, let's have some fun. Let's make the closet a sound booth where we make it soundproof inside. We set it all up. We put a table in there. We get microphones and computers, and we get it all set up. Let's make a little home studio. Let's have some fun with that. The next thing I might say is, you know, let's go get some firewood and make a you know a fire and read by the fire with our kindles or or journal by firelight you know or hey let's go out in the middle of the desert and shoot duns i mean whatever whatever i can do to have fun one uh, about three years ago i threw a party for myself and my my two roommates and mindy and i dropped about two grand on stupid things that would be fun to do i got an inflatable remote control shark There was a helium balloon that we flew around the house i got these lasers uh laser show and fog machines like a rave i got all these different music i got lightsabers so we would have lightsaber wars around the house i had we had all these different fun toys bubble machines and you know, we, we just had this crazy New Year's Eve party with four people, and it was the most fun, and we'll remember it for the rest of our lives. I love that. And it's because I'm committed to having fun. My, my wife, Mindy, she knows that if Sean's not having fun, something is going to go wrong. He better be having fun, or he's not going to be creating at his best.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true. And... Because
1: what, what we do that's not fun will not last. Yeah. If a project or a company is not fun, we will not stick with it. If a marriage is not fun, we will end it. If anything is not fun, we will eventually stop doing it. And if we don't, we end up dying while we're alive. Wow.
0: So what's one, one little way we can create fun?
1: Uh, just ask yourself, what did you used to do when you were a kid? You know, did you draw? Go draw again. Did you dance? Go dance again. Did you downhill ski? Go downhill ski. Did You know, what's something that you've not done that looks fun? You know, like, I'd never been to a rave, and I really didn't want to go to a huge, massive rave, so we threw together a, a a, a a personal party with smokes and you know smoke and lights and and booming music and you know we made our own little rave. We yeah. had face paint that glue in, glowed in the black light and you know, uh, you you have to figure out what is something that just lights you up and and go pursue that. And most people go, well, I don't have the time. What are you making your time for? I saw a cartoon that said this guy at work and he's like. He's driving to work, and he's like, oh, man, I need, to, I need to get to work so I can pay for my car payments. And he's, like, thinking about his work. <laughs> I got to get to work. And, you know, and then, he, and then he's at work, and he's like, oh, man, I better work hard so I have enough money for my car payments so I have a car to get to work. You know, it's like this looping cycle of what the hell are you doing with your life?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, are you, you're going to a job to pay for stuff that you need to get to the job. What fun is that? Go create a life where you're getting paid to do something that you would do for free or that you would pay to go do. Mm. There are some speeches that are so much fun. I would pay to go do them. Have you ever had any photo shoots that you were surprised you got paid you were having so much fun? Oh, a lot of them. Yeah. And so like those photo shoots, you would almost pay to go do them. Yeah. And that's the best. When you can have a career where you're getting paid to do what you would pay to do, then you know you've aligned what you're good at with what you love, with what with what makes a difference. When you have all those things lined up, your career is amazing. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like always be creating.
1: Always be creating. You know, I, I go through times where, as an entrepreneur, if cash flow is not just crushing it that month, I'll sometimes get into like a... A self-worthy emo state, like, like I'm not worthy of feeling like a badass or, or I don't feel like a successful businessman because cash flows down this month. And I had this revelation recently. It's not making cash that makes me feel good. It's making something, whether it's cash or a project. And it happens to be when I make cash, I'm actually making something else for the cash. So if I'm not making cash, I need to just go make something and I feel good and then that energy attracts the cash. So like on the times when I've had slow seasons in my business, I went and made a movie on my own dime, you know that movie I showed you today. Yeah. That was because that month I didn't have much work and so I went out and created something that was super fun that then helps me now use it as a demo in my career. Yeah. So it's like you need to be making something and, and so if you think oh I need to be making more cash, great. But on the months where cash is having some troubles coming in, go make something else. Go be creating. It's like artists will tell you that the best musicians are the ones that are always writing and creating. The best photographer probably is the one that's always out there shooting. And they can, they can, you probably have gotten to a point now, Nick, where you can anticipate a laugh. You can anticipate a smile. You can anticipate how the sun is going to land on somebody's forehead in a few seconds. You can anticipate because you've taken enough shots that you know what's coming.
0: Right? Totally.
1: And that took practice. That took doing it over and over and over. I can tell when I go up on stage and use a certain piece of material when they're going to cry, when they're going to laugh, when they're going to pause, look up, and really re-evaluate their life. I can tell when it's coming because I've done it over and over and over. That 10,000 hours. Now come Gladwell. True. It's so freaking true.
0: So powerful. Yeah. I mean, I've... I've practiced that myself, and you have to. Like, you have to put in the work, the hustle, the hard work to get to where you ultimately want to be.
1: (laughs) And some days you'll want to quit. And -hmm. some days you will quit, but the next morning, maybe you'll get right back on the horse. You know, Mm -hmm. people say, Well, Sean, how come you've never quit? And I'm like, You're making a massive assumption that I haven't. I've quit numerous times but the next morning i get a little sleep under my belt i start doing my when life works list and i realize that i was being an emo little bitch and i got to get back out on the horse <laughs> and i do
0: i love it i love it well uh one last question here what does live inspiration mean to you
1: live inspiration i would say what it means to me is whatever lights you up whatever inspires i mean in spiritus it means you know like god is within like you are inspired you know and and theos and enthusiasm and inspiration it's all that high vibration shit that is amazing and it makes life worth living and when you build a life around what inspires you you get out of bed every day looking forward to what you have coming And you don't want to go to bed at night because you have so many things that you didn't finish that that really lit you up. And you go to bed dreaming about your life. Most people go to bed dreaming about a parallel life that they're not living. You know, there was a day when life started to change for me and my life became far more interesting than my dreams.
0: Hmm. Wow. I love that. I love that. Well, uh, awesome. So where can we find you on the Internet?
1: On the Internet, uh, you can find me at my, my name.com. So Sean Stevenson, that's dot ncom SeanStevenson.com. I have a blog there, a radio podcast myself, and my books on there. Everything you ever wanted to know and more about Sean Stevenson, you can find on my website. And the Twitter? Uh, you can find that on my website, so I just don't want to confuse him with too many names.
0: Got it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. You're you're an inspiration to me, that's for sure.
1: Thanks, Nick. I appreciate your time.
0: All right, brother. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Shop Talk Radio and joining me as we dive underneath the hood of the creative lifestyle. Again, I am your host, Nick Onkin, and if you enjoyed today's episode, then go over to iTunes and leave us a good review so that we can spread the word and inspire even more people in the world to live inspiration and share their inner creativity. Also, we'd love to see where you're listening to the podcast, so snap a photo on Instagram, hashtag live Inspiration, or tag me at Nick Onkin so that you can inspire other people to listen wherever they are at. But beyond this, check out NickOnkinShopTalk.com to read articles on creating the creative lifestyle anywhere from emotional intelligence to any other aspect of creative entrepreneurship. I'll be also posting up editorial content in the form of visual essays that I get to create with my photographic eye and my craft and my career. Uh, But most of all, you get to join the underground creative community that we're creating. So thanks again for joining us. Now go share your creativity with the world.